All right. Changing hats now, in case you didn't know. All right, Pastor Larry is uh, not here, uh, so I am uh, bringing the word this morning. Uh, so God help me. Uh, we'll do it to the justice uh, that it so rightly deserves. Uh, if you have a Bible uh, or an electronic device with you, if you'd open to Romans chapter 1, uh, and our subject verses today are going to begin in verse 18 and go through the end of the chapter. Uh, as I was preparing this message, uh, uh, there's been a lot of things going on in America in the last probably 10 years, uh, and if you've been around America in that amount of time, uh, you probably shake your head sometimes and you go, I don't know what's going on with this country. Um, anybody said that? Yeah, everybody's saying that, right? Like, yeah, everybody says that. Who doesn't say that these days? Um, and it's really important to me um, as Christians we're to be the salt and light in the world. And so as we're the salt and the light, we have to be able to answer that question, right? What is going on in America? What happened to the country that we grew up in? What happened to the country that we knew and loved? Where is it going? What's happening? Because things don't stay the same, right? Everybody knows that. We grow older. Our views change on things. Stuff is happening all the time. And as Christians, how do we deal with that, right? What do we what, what do we do? How do we handle what's going on? And I think one of the key components to recognizing what's going on is to understand what's happening in the background. And fortunately, the Bible speaks very clearly on this. And I think sometimes the problem is, is that we miss exactly how clearly the Bible speaks, because it comes from a passage that we probably know if you spend any amount of time in the church You've probably read through the book of Romans. In fact, that may be where you started your Christian journey is in the book of Romans, following the Roman road, right? So we have the answers. And so what I want to do this morning is dig in a little bit and see what's going on and then what the Bible has to say about it, because trust me, the Bible does speak. The issue at hand this morning is the issue of truth, right? Because before you can solve any of the world's problems, what we need to do today is get to the truth of the matter. And the problem with that is what? Yeah, where's truth? What is truth? Who defines what's true, right? And we see that that becomes a recurring problem in our society is that the definition of truth is on the chopping block, right? Truth is not true anymore, right? Or more importantly, I think when we get into it, what we're going to find is that truth has lost its anchor. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So uh, next slide, please, Warren. All right, two slides, please, Warren. Um, anybody got a social media profile? Right? Everybody loves social media, right? I love social media. I don't, I'm not, I don't do social media per se, but one of the things I love about social media is social media is an awesome insight into what people think you ought to see in them. Right? Social media doesn't reflect what's going on with people, but it reflects what people think you ought to see in them. Right? And so now we take a look at our social media profile. We go, oh, fake profile, right? Like all I post is the good pictures, right? Nobody ever posts a picture on Facebook themselves like crying, like, oh, my dog died, right? Like you don't see that. You know, you may get a sympathy post, oh, my dog died. Hey, everybody, we're sorry for you. But when you get to it, what we see and consume every day in our social media is not real, right? Anybody heard of fake news? Yeah, fake news, right? Is fake news fake? Yeah, fake news is fake, right? How do we define fake news? Does it matter? Truth is on the chopping block. It's the issue at hand, right? Little white lies. Anybody ever told a little white lie? You don't have to raise your hands, right? But we'd say that as if it's inconsequential, right? Oh, I told a lie, but it's just a little white lie, right? And so this is what's going on in our society. It surrounds us 
And what the problem that you end up with as Christians is once it surrounds you enough, it becomes normative. This is just the way things are. And I think when you look at what's going on in America today, that's exactly what's going on, right? So the issue at hand is truth. Where do we go? Next slide, please, Warren. What is truth, right? This is an interesting quote. Uh, as I was uh, studying uh, to prepare this message, uh, Pontius Pilate, in uh, the book of John, chapter 18, verse 38, asked this very question as he was interrogating Jesus before Jesus was crucified, right? But it's not unique to Pontius Pilate. People have quested after truth for centuries, millennia even. The ancient philosophers, what is true, what is real, this is not a new issue. And so what we're really doing is retreading the issues that were going on. But it's still essential, and that's one of the reasons that people have quested after this for so many years, is because you go, what is truth? What is true? Does it matter? And I would submit this morning, I'm going to answer that question, but the answer is absolutely it matters. And we're going to take a look at why here in just a minute. To get to the heart of the matter, I think you have to look at how the modern world defines truth. Right? When you have the world defining things, that's when things start to fall apart. And so it's interesting to look at how the world defines truth because as Christians, how do you counter the thoughts of the day that may be contrary to Scripture if you don't understand what's going on? So that's where I want to start this morning. Next slide, please, Warren. John Lennon. Anybody heard of John Lennon? Yeah, everybody's heard of John Lennon, right? So the great musician, John Lennon, great in the world's eyes, said, I believe everything until it's disproved. I believe in fairies, myths, dragons. It all exists even if it's in your own mind. What do we have to say to that? That's a worldview right there, folks. That is a worldview, right? I believe everything until you disprove it to me, said the great John Lennon, right? And he wrote music that reflected a lot of his worldview, if you ever listen to the lyrics, right? I believe everything until it's disproved. Is that truth? Well, it was truth to John Lennon, right? What's interesting to me is for John Lennon, if the truth is just in your mind, then how do you disprove it? You get in an argument with yourself and convince yourself to do something else. You see, as soon as you depart from absolute truth, we end up with a big problem because you get into circular reasoning. You get into things that contradict themselves, and then everything starts to fall apart. And so the issue of truth is absolutely essential to a functioning society, to a functioning human being, and the reason that is is because God designed us that way. So let's take a look at some other, uh, some other greats, if you will, in the secular world and see at how they handled truth. Next slide, please, Warren. Frederick Nietzsche. Anybody heard of Nietzsche? The great existentialist philosopher, God is dead. Right? Is God dead? Well, Nietzsche thought so. Right? But what was the interesting thing about Nietzsche? He said there are no facts, only interpretations. Right? And in doing so, what he really reflected, you may have heard this in a more toned-down version in modern society, which is what? Perception is reality, right? How you perceive things is what defines what's true. Was Nietzsche right? Or did Nietzsche set the basis, and he didn't set it, but did he capture it, the essence of what's really going on in our society, where, hey, what's, what's real for you is good for you. What's real for me is real for me, right? And then the problem comes when those two worldviews don't align. Right? And that causes friction, that causes tension, that causes consternation, it causes fake news, it causes all sorts of other things, right? because there's nothing factual, everything is subject to interpretation. Right? That's a worldview. 
We're going to come back and readdress that in a minute. Jack Kerouac. Anybody a great fan of Jack Kerouac? The great literary genius said what? Truth, the only truth, is music. All right? Which is interesting to me from a literary genius, uh, that music is the only truth. Right? But in, doing, in saying that, what did Jack Kerouac emphasize? It's one of the things that you see in today's society. Right? Sometimes we try to find truth in something external to ourselves. Right? I look to something else to provide me my source of truth. Right? And that's important because what you choose to do that is going to shape the entire way that you view the world and the way that you interact with other people. And so Jack, in capturing the only truth is in music, captured the worldview that truth is extrinsic to me, but it may not necessarily be properly placed. Right? How many of you actually believe that truth is in music? Yeah, okay, nobody, right? In this room, at least. That's okay. You can stick your hand up. It's no, no, no penalty. But very few people, I think, would subscribe to that, right? People would not look, oh, I'm looking for truth. Let me turn on the radio and listen to a song. That's not where we go for truth, right? Walt Whitman, another great writer, right, said what? Whatever satisfies the soul is truth, right? It sounds beautiful, right? You put that in a poem. It's beautiful prose. You go, ah, this is wonderful, right? But is it true? What's Walt saying in that statement? He says, whatever makes me happy is what's true. Does that sound familiar? Anybody heard that in the modern culture? Absolutely, right? I'm just here to make myself happy. It's very characteristic of what's going on in the modern secular culture. And so the things that we're experiencing today in our culture and in our society, they're not new. This stuff has been captured for centuries. Different people have subscribed to these ideas And ideas have consequences, right? When we have ideas, they're going to bear fruit, right? And then the question is, do they bear good or do they bear evil fruit if you come from the Christian worldview? In all of these cases, in these secular philosophers, greats, geniuses, if you will, according to the world standards, there's one common theme that we need to pick up on, that we need to catch, because it's the theme in the postmodern world that defines the problem, in my opinion. And that theme is, next slide, please, Warren. Relativity. In all of these philosophies, truth is relative to you. It's relative to how you feel. It's relative to what you believe or what you think. Or it's relative to how you perceive things. And the problem with that is that doesn't make it truth anymore. And so now you get the conflict. Now you get the consternation. Now you get fake profiles and fake news and all of a sudden, the world becomes unended, right? Because now you don't have things like a moral code that's based in truth. Now you don't have a society that values truth. And, and if you take a look at what's going on in our culture today, it's exactly what's happening, right? It's a problem, right? But it's important to define the problem because if we don't, then we're going to miss the solution. So let's take a look at Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And I'm going to read here uh, through the end of the chapter and see exactly what we're dealing with here. Here Paul writes to the Romans in his epistle, and he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to the uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies amongst themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do these things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Sound familiar? Sound like a culture that you know? These characteristics that are defined in this chapter are indicators. God uses them through Paul to help us identify what's going on. So as Christians, when you see what's going on in the world today, what's the problem? The problem is God has been set aside. The problem is God is put to the side, and when he does, what happens? God turns people over to their sinful desires. He turns people over to their sinful thoughts. And what results? Chaos, ultimately, right? If you listen and you listen to this description, this list of things that's going on here, that's a chaotic society. Imagine living in that world, and you go, I don't have to, I do. And that's absolutely right, church. You do live in that world. We're going to come back to that because we are now obligated by God himself to do something about that, and we're going to come back and talk about that. But take a look at this passage if you look at it. There's a hierarchy that, that goes on as we go through the back half of chapter 1 here, right? The first thing is people lost the truth, right? They had the truth of God, the truth went away, and as soon as the truth goes away, now the mind becomes debased, right? What is debased? It simply means that it departs from the intended purpose that God had it set up, right? When we were created, we were created in God's image. And as we give up the truth, as we surrender to falsehood, the mind becomes debased, it becomes perverted, it becomes twisted by that. And the outpouring of that at the bottom of the hierarchy is sin. Right? Ultimately, the result is sin, which we see throughout our society. It's very prevalent. Right? So there is a chain that goes along here, and the root of everything, the key link in that chain, is the truth. As soon as the truth is lost everything else proceeds out of it. And that should be no surprise. You go, of course it is. That absolutely makes sense. Okay. So, how do we recognize untruth? Okay. We've talked about it. It's a problem. What does it look like? How do we recognize it? Next slide, please, Warren. When truth is suppressed, 
This chapter gives us some very poignant indicators to understand that that's exactly what's going on. And there's, it's, it's a very clear roadmap, right? Number one, what happens? People lose sight of the fact that they were created by God. Right? As you go through this, in 19 through 23, in chapter 1 here, we see what? People were created with a knowledge of God. That knowledge is suppressed. There is a denial of that creation. And what happens? The chain starts. Right? The waterfall of badness starts, and it proceeds. Right? This is why, in my opinion, and I'm going to opine just a little bit here, the understanding of the issue of creation itself is so critical for Christians in this day and age. If you don't know where you came from, if you don't know what the beginning was, then everything that proceeds out of that is lost. Right? You're going to be going down a wrong road. Right? You're going to be going the opposite direction from the direction that you need to go. And so understanding this issue, the book of Genesis, getting into what happened at creation, where did we come from, right? Was there intelligent design? Did we evolve from the Big Bang? Did we grow out of monkeys? Did we come out of the slime in the lake, right? How you view that issue is going to define your worldview on a number of different things that are absolutely critical. And so, one of the things that you can see is a suppression of the truth is when the suppression of Genesis happens, right? Seen that in our culture lately? Anybody heard about evolution? Pretty popular? Of course, it's what's taught, right? We have to fight to do what? To even get a voice to speak the truth of the Bible on this issue, right? You think it's by accident that this is pushed so hard as an issue in our educational institutions? Absolutely not. Because if you can derail the train at this issue, then you can derail the train on any number of different issues that derive from this. And so as Christians, if you don't have it straight in your mind, then I submit to you it is imperative that you get in the Word of God and you study this issue, because where it begins, begins your school of thinking on a number of different issues. It's very, very critical. Right? Astrology. Anybody read their astrology charts in the paper? I don't know when you get, don't get that up here on the mountain, but in the big cities, you can go and look up your horoscope, right? What's going on today? What's the problem with astrology? It ascribes what? It ascribes control over what goes on in your life to the angular relationships between stars, right? Is that what drives what goes on? Some people believe that's absolutely true, right? the moon and Aquarius or whatever, and all of a sudden, because I'm a Pisces, I'm going to have a great day, right? The issue of astrology denies what? It denies God's sovereignty over the affairs of men. So when you see things like this that take root, and it doesn't necessarily have to be just the horoscopes. I think the horoscopes are kind of a fun thing to get put in the paper. Like, it's like reading a fortune cookie and a Chinese cookie, right? Like, does it mean anything? But does it mean anything? There are some people that take that very seriously. By a show of hands, anybody know anybody that reads their horoscope and takes it seriously? I know a couple of people. They read it and they go, oh, this is going to determine the outcome of whatever. And it's crazy. Because why? It takes us away from the truth. The truth that God is sovereign over the affairs of men. So, second challenge to you, church, in getting the elements of the core of this straight, God's sovereignty is an absolute critical truth that must be obtained, and it cannot be suppressed. Because once you understand that God is sovereign, now we have answers to all these problems that we'll talk about here in a second.
And then the third issue is outright idolatry. When you set God aside and you worship the trees or you worship the stars or you worship a great sports figure or whatever it is, now you are just displacing God completely out of the picture. And, of course, the truth becomes suppressed with that. Next slide, please, Warren. I want to talk about an issue, church, uh, that is very prevalent in our culture. Truth is suppressed when homosexuality rises to the top. This is very clear in this passage in Romans. And I am going to stand up here today, and I am speaking, not with my authority, but with authority of the Word of God right here. Homosexuality is sin. Homosexuality is sin. It's not an alternate lifestyle. It's not a preference. It's not a choice. It's not anything that it's been soft-pedaled as. It's a sin. And this culture is rife with this being broadcast as anything but sin. Now, is it the unforgivable sin? Absolutely not, right? Is it any worse than gambling, alcoholism, bribery, embezzlement? It's a sin. But it is a sin. And one of the things that is absolutely critical in this modern culture is that we identify sin as sin. Because if you can't identify sin, then you can't identify what sin is, which is a broken and offensive relationship between the offender and God. And if you don't have that, what do you need a Savior for? What do you need a Savior for if you don't have sin? Homosexuality is sin, and right here we see in this passage that men exchanged the natural function. Women exchanged the natural function, and it was a result of setting aside the truth of God. So if you see a political candidate that says, I'm a Christian and I'm gay, what do you do with that? Do you accept it? Do you question the basis of their Christianity? Or do you find something in between where you go, maybe you perceive you're a Christian, but clearly you haven't spent time in the book of Romans and other places in the word of God? Because there is facts, and more importantly, there is truth. And this word right here says that homosexuality is sin, right? We cannot soft-pedal that, right, because it is pushed. And to me, homosexuality is very interesting because you don't see alcoholics of America uniting with their own special flag, and you don't have alcoholic pride week, right? Everybody gets together and gets drunk in the streets, right? Those people tend to stay wherever they are, usually in their dark bars, sitting there suffering from that sin, right? Homosexuality is very overt, and it's very blatant. It's in your face. It's not enough that we're just going to do what we're going to do, but we want you, you church, to accept that, right? And if you don't, that's intolerant, right? Ooh, that's intolerant, right? Well, what do you say to that? Is God tolerant? Is the holiness of God tolerant to sin? Absolutely not. God is just, and he requires an accounting. Now, again, does that mean homosexuality can't be forgiven? Absolutely not. But you have to set the ship right, and you have to shape the conversation because it's being undermined by these accusations. Oh, you're intolerant, right? You're intolerant. And the problem with that is what? Take the issue of tolerance. Take the issue of tolerance today, right? What a cheap sellout for what God calls us to do, which is love. Stop and juxtapose those two. I want you to tolerate this person versus I want you to love this person. What's the difference? Big difference? It's an enormous difference, right? God sets the higher standard. We are to love. We are not to be tolerant. We are to love, 
Nowhere in the Bible can I find tolerance as a moral issue that we as Christians are advocated to do. So we cannot let the world define the discussion. We absolutely cannot. God defines it, and it's defined right here in the book of Romans. Sexual impurity goes right along with that, right? We're talking about fornication, right? It's almost not a non-issue. For those of you that are older, you remember, you know, in the 50s and 60s before the sexual revolution, we kept things like this very hush-hush, right? Things got tucked underneath the rug, hidden away in the dark corners of our family histories. Now people just flaunt it. It's everywhere. It's on the streets. It's in your face. It's in your TV. It's on your radio. It's everywhere you turn. And again, what happens when we see this everywhere? It becomes normalized. But it's not normal by God's standard. Lastly, dishonoring the body. Have we seen this in modern culture? Anybody? Gender reassignment? Right? God made you this way. And now we're going to take that body and physically change it, physically morph it, because I don't like the way that God made me. Right? And we, again, put this under, this is my choice. This is how I feel. I don't feel like a man or I don't feel like a woman, rather than taking the truth of what God created. And so now even something as binary as a gender is up on the chopping block. Right? Some states have driver's licenses where you're male, female, and 19 other different genders. That's not what God created us. The Bible says what? God created man, male and female, and he created him in his image. And that is true. Right? We have to stand on these issues because they are being undercut at every level, at every level, and it destroys the moral fabric of our society, which is exactly what's going on. Next slide, please, Warren. All right. I got a whole list up here, right? This is the list that we read. Take a look at all of these issues, and you go, yeah, I've seen those. I got it, right? That's in our culture, right? You can pick any one of them. You go, yeah, I've seen them. I've seen them all. The one I would talk about is this one right here. Approvers. If you go to verse 32 in Romans chapter 1, not only is the problem the people that do these things, but the problem is also the people approve of them, right? How much of that is going on in our culture today? I didn't do anything bad, right? I'm not gay, but hey, if you want to be gay, that's okay for you. What did you just do? You just approved of homosexuality in a very passive way, but you approved of it. And the problem with that is what? You're put on this list. It's like you did it yourself. God is very clear on this issue. He's very clear. And so we have to be careful as Christians because sometimes, and you've probably heard this before, Saying nothing can be as good as consent. Right? We are called to stand on the word of God. Now, are we called to be abrasive? Are we called to be offensive? Absolutely not. We have to remember, Jesus said love. Right? And so we have to engage with a heart of love. But engaging with a heart of love doesn't mean we don't engage at all. Uh, if I say something, it's going to hurt their feelings. I, or I'm not going to say anything. Right? That, that attitude prevails, right? Or I don't know what to say. I'm not going to say anything, right? And then we just leave it at that. We don't go study the Bible, you know, figure out how to address the issue. We just kind of let it ride, right? And that's right here in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's going on, right? And that's one of the problems because if we're not the salt and if we're not the light and if we're not engaging these conversations, then we're part of the problem. We're approvers. And, and that's what we have to fight. We have to get past that and we have to engage. Next slide, please, Warren. With all this going on, can we even know what's true? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
And I think we'll come back to this at the end, but I think this is one of the critical things that makes the Christian worldview so essential to the modern culture because you have to have truth to have a functioning society. You have to have truth to have a culture that people want to live in. God created us this way because he is a God of truth. And so we can absolutely know truth, which if you confront some people in this society, they would be floored by that assertion. How can you know what's true? Who made you the authority? Nobody made me the authority, but I have the authority right here, uh, and it's awesome. Next slide, Warren. What is truth? Jesus Christ is the truth. John 14, 6. Turn in your Bibles, please. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Interesting. Why didn't Jesus just said, I am the way, I am the life, right? You want eternal life? I'm the way, and just leave it at that. He didn't. Truth is critical to salvation. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And so now we have an anchor, we have a stake that is set. The truth is anchored on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And and that's where it starts. And now we can derive everything that needs to be derived from that. And so when people are looking, they go, how do I know truth? How do I know what's true? Did you start with Jesus? Did you start with what Jesus taught? And that's where it begins. Because if you hear something in the modern culture that contradicts Jesus, what do you know? It's false. It is not true, right? Because we know that Jesus Christ is truth. And so that is where we start with this issue. Next slide, Warren. The Word of God is a close second, right? We have the Gospels, which document the ministry of Christ, but we also have the whole 66 books that we have that God gave us humanity as a gift. You want to know what God thinks? Pick up this book and start reading. He'll open it up to you. He will reveal it to you. This is where we find truth. And so as you're looking around our society, as you're looking around our culture, take these things and go, does that contradict what the Word of God says? Because if it does, what do you know? It's not true. The problem with that is what? We talked about it already. Some people will say, well, the Bible says love people, and therefore homosexuality, that's an Old Testament thing. That's not an issue anymore, right? We're in the New Testament. We're under grace, not under the law. You'll hear all sorts of phrases that do what? What are they trying to do? Maybe not even intentionally, but they undercut the authority of the Bible. And I think as Christians, sometimes we get almost inoculated against that where you hear something and it absolutely goes against the grain of the Bible and undercuts of authority and it just washes by us, right? Just kind of just goes over us because we're so inundated We're surrounded by this stuff. But we need to be sensitive to that. We need to be sensitive to a culture because if they can undermine the word of God, then they undermine everything we believe in because this is how God reveals himself to us. Now, are they ultimately going to undermine the word of God? Absolutely not. God is the supreme sovereign of the universe. His word stands eternal. He stands eternal. Praise him. But when we're engaging in our modern society, there are people that will try to do this Why? Sometimes it's done deliberately so that you don't have an argument. There's a whole discipline in Christianity, if you get into it, called apologetics. Anybody know what apologetics is? Yeah, it's the defense of the Christian faith, right? Church, we have to get better at apologetics. The problem is, in the past, 
There was good and evil, right? There was a very binary thing, right? It was Republicans and Democrats. No, I don't want to go there, right? But there was a very binary thing going on in American culture. And what's happened in the postmodern world, you can see it now. Like, to me, one of the interesting outpourings of this is take a look at what's going on in the Democratic Party with the run-up to the election. What are Democrats doing right now? They're at each other's throats. What's really interesting? Now, before you had this binary political spectrum where, you know, you had the party of small government allegedly and whatever, and then you had the party that was for social benefits, and yeah, there was this whole thing. And now their worldviews are colliding, right? And it's making national news. This Democrat said this bad thing about this Democrat. This Democrat is way more off base than this Democrat. And it's fascinating for me to watch because what's going on? The truth is lost, and now you have these competing ideas that aren't based in that. And how do you address those? Well, I'll tell you how you address them. You address them with this word of truth right here. And there's diverse views, right? There are diverse views, right? Do we worship the trees? Do we worship Carl Malone? Do we, I don't know. But how do we answer that in this postmodern culture? You have to go back to the foundation. You have to go back to the word of God. It's absolutely essential. The word of God is truth. Next slide, Warren. The gospel is truth. I got news for you, folks. Fortunately, it's good news. You are sinners. You have a broken relationship with God because what you do offends him, and it offends his holiness, and it offends his justice. It offends him inordinately. But you don't have to stay there because God solved that problem for you. He sent Jesus Christ, his son, to rectify the situation. And all that's required is what? Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The gospel is truth. Sin is not, ooh, I did something wrong. Sin's not, ooh, I made a mistake. Sin's not, oops. Sin is an offense against the holy and righteous God who judges the universe. And church, we have to be strong on this issue. Because if you can't identify sin, you can't identify the need for a Savior. If you can't walk up to someone in sin and love and go, I have to talk with you because there's something that burdens my heart. You don't know it, but you are in grave danger and serious peril on an eternal level. Because eternity is what's at stake when you talk about the truth of the gospel. Eternity is at stake. If you care about someone and you know they are not walking in the word and walking in the truth of the gospel, what are you waiting for? Have the conversation. Ah, it's uncomfortable. I don't really know where to start. Start right there. I love you and I am so concerned about what's going on and what I see. Can I talk to you, please? Start the conversation and do not delay, right? Today is still a day of grace. And church, that is our charter. Jesus Christ said in Matthew, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Make disciples. And that's what we are to do. We absolutely have to do that. If what you hear contradicts the gospel, there are many roads to heaven. Anybody heard that? Yeah, we hear it all the time. It's an assault and then it's a front. And to me, it is the most egregious of all of them. Because why? Because eternity is at stake. If somebody can get deterred off of the road when it comes to the issue of the gospel, that's their eternal salvation at stake. And it's absolutely critical. 
that we write that ship. In church, we have to speak out. Next slide, please, Warren. Truth is important to God. God desires earnestly that we walk in the truth. Turn in your Bibles to the book of 3 John, the fourth verse, because there's only one chapter. And what does God say? Let's find out. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. No greater joy. Let's, let's, I just want you to ponder that for a minute. Of all the joys that God could have, he has no greater joy than what? That his children are walking in the truth. If there was any question in your Christian mind as to whether truth matters to God, I hope this settles the issue right here. Truth absolutely matters to God. That's what he wants for you, and that's what he wants for the world. Turn one book back to the book of 2 John, and we're going to go to chapter 1, verse 4 there. Here, John says, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. The issue pervades. Truth is important. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Here we have a pronounced exhortation from Paul as he goes through this issue of truth. Starting a little bit before that, he says in verse 1, I exhort all... I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Sound good? Sound like where we're living? No. Okay. We'll come back. I have a different sermon on that. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It's not just for us, church. It's not just for us. It's for everyone. It's for folks out there. It's for folks down the street. It's for folks over in Texas. It's for folks in Africa. The truth is for all men, and it's been revealed in this book. And the charter is placed upon us to go distribute the truth. That's what we're to do. Lastly, let's turn to the book of James, chapter 1. The book of James is interesting because it gives an insight into Uh, many different aspects of how we walk with God. And in chapter 1 here, we can see that there's a key issue in verse 16 uh, through verse 18. Here it says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. How are we not deceived? We've already looked at that. We're not deceived by knowing the truth. Do not be deceived. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. When we embrace truth, when we spread truth, when we counter lies with what the Bible says, we are doing exactly what God created us to do. He created us to be beacons and bearers of the truth. And so that's our charter. Next slide, please, Warren. Wrapping up, truth is not relative. There are absolutes. There is absolute right, and there is absolute wrong. And if you want to know where to find the difference, you go to this book right here. This is your answer. God has made it clear, and he has revealed it. And he will continue to do so. But truth 
is not relative. And church, it is so important in this day and age that we deliver that message to the world. And it's shocking. What? How do, how do you know what's true? No, because it says it right here. Truth can be known, and the truth will be known. Right? Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's the end. That's where it's all leading. And if it doesn't happen here in this life, church, just wait. It's happening. It's going to happen, and we're going to see it. So don't get frustrated. Sometimes it's very easy to get discouraged. Sometimes it's easy to get burdened and to get down. And you just go, I don't feel like we can win. I feel like we're losing ground every day. Anybody feel like that? Yeah, you go, ah, what's going on? God is in control. Remember that. And his truth reigns. His truth prevails. And his truth will last through all eternity. Right? It's more than any temporary anything. Facebook post politician, current events issue, God is sovereign and supreme, and his truth will reign. It will prevail. Lastly, I want to turn to the book of John again, chapter 8, verse 32 this time. And here we have a beautiful picture painted for us. I love the way that this is portrayed. In John eight thirty-two, Jesus promises this. He says, you will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Anybody ever heard that? You ever think about that? When you don't have truth, what do you have? I'll tell you what a lot of people have. Eh? What did Jesus say anytime he appeared to anybody, even his own disciples in the Bible? What's the first thing he said? Do not be afraid. <laughs> Why not? Because if you don't know what's going on, are you afraid? I don't know who's going to be in charge after the next election. Are you afraid? Some people are. I don't know what's going to happen if my spouse dies. I don't know what's going to happen. Are you afraid? You can be. I don't know what's going to happen if I get fired from this job. Are you afraid? Yeah. Not knowing truth leads to fear in many cases. It leads to people being afraid. Right? When you know the truth, the truth sets you free. It sets you free from sin first and foremost. Your mind is not debased. God uses the Holy Spirit to bring you into alignment, to walk the walk with him. But you have a freedom from fear, which is absolutely wonderful. Right? How many of you would love to go through life and not be afraid of anything? Right? You ever met somebody like that? You're like, man, that guy's amazing. That lady is amazing. Like, how do they, they face such tough stuff? And they're not afraid. That comfort, that freedom is promised to us, church, by believing and embracing the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can have that. You go, I'm a Christian and I don't feel that right now. I'm, 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 I'm really nervous about what's going on. I don't, I don't know where God's taking this, right? Turn it over to him, right? Turn it over to him because his truth will set you free from that fear. If you believe that God is the God who he says in the Bible, what does the Bible say? His eye is on the sparrow, right? Have you seen a sparrow, teeny tiny little birds? And if he's paying attention to those, how much more does he care about what's going on in your life? Not only does he care, but he's actually governing it, right? He is walking with you. He is walking beside you. And if you want some insight into that, I encourage you to spend time studying the book of Job and seeing how God and Job interact. God's sovereignty and Job's faithfulness or sometimes his lack of faithfulness and how that relationship works. Because the freedom from fear can be something that we can have. And this isn't health and wealth gospel. 
Right? This isn't me standing up here going, you just believe in Jesus, everything's going to be okay. Right? Does God promise us that if we believe in Jesus, everything's going to be okay? Ultimately, yes. But in the immediacy, we're going to have trials. Right? Consider it joy, my brothers, when you have trials, Paul says. Wait, 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 wait what? There's, there's trials? No, nobody told me about that. He did. It's okay. God will not let you down. And so the truth of this word, the truth of the gospel, and the truth that is Jesus Christ can set you free from this fear. And that's a wonderful encouragement when you really get down into it. Why is this important? Because in a world that suffers from fear, I'm afraid the other political party is going to get into power. I'm afraid that the economy is going to fall apart. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. I'm afraid my kids aren't going to follow Jesus Christ. Insert whatever you're afraid of here. We have the answers as the church of Jesus Christ. And how strange that looks to the world. Wow, you guys seem awfully sure of yourselves. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure of me because of me. I'm sure of what's going on because of God. I am sure what's going on because I know that Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, saves men from sin. And it seems so simple. But for a mind that is debased, for a mind that has not embraced the truth, it's absolutely not. It is absolutely not. And so what's the call to us? We have to take that message in love. We have to take that message in love to the world. And what happens? The message is delivered in love. Minds and hearts are changed. And what happens to the chaos that we saw in Romans chapter 1? It starts to dissipate. There were times in American history, we call them the Great Awakening. Anybody remember those? Oh, of course not. You guys weren't around back then. But there were some amazing times in American history where God brought the power of the gospel to the forefront of our country in a national way. The entire country was interested in revival. They were interested in the word of God. They were interested in truth. They were interested in being a church. It can happen again. How does it happen again? We pray. Thank you. We act the way that God has commanded us to do. And if you don't think that you sitting in this room right here as part of the church of Jesus Christ don't have a part in that, go home and think again. Because it starts right here. Right? Right? right in this little village of Cloudcroft, in this little place in the mountains, in the middle of this giant desert with nothing in it, it starts right here. It starts right here today. And it starts with you. So, what are you going to do with the truth? Study it. Embrace it. Love it and take it in love to the world because that's what your Lord Jesus Christ has commanded you. Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that Jesus Christ, you are the truth and that through you we can have eternal life. Lord God, bless these people in this room as your church. God, send them out mightily in ways that only you can determine and that you can plan. God, we ask that you would cause the word of truth to go forth even from this room right here today as we go into the world this week. Lord, give us opportunities abundantly to speak that word of truth to our friends, to our neighbors, Lord, even to our family in some cases. And for those family that are struggling today with a son or a daughter or a mother or a father who doesn't know the truth of Jesus Christ, God, I lift up those people especially in this place. God, will you encourage them and comfort them Father, will you cause the fruits of their labor to be made manifest? Father, will you cause those whom we love to be drawn into the body of Jesus Christ? God, you are a great God, and we thank you that you are the God of truth, 
And we thank you that we can know what truth is through the power of Jesus Christ. God, bless these people. Bless this church. Father, we ask that you would bless our land. We ask that you would give us churches that would rise up and speak truth. We ask that you would cause us to engage in love, that by the example that we set, that by the words that we speak, that the world might see that, yes, we are different and that truth can set you free. God, thank you for your truth. We ask you you would bless the remainder of this service and again bless us as we lift up your name in praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.